After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today.
What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Look, I hope that you had a great weekend and that you enjoyed a night of great fights on Saturday. Guys, coming up on today's show, Francis Ngannou and Deontay Wilder seem to have come to an agreement. Plus, I'm going to tell you why I'm not convinced Usman versus Edwards 3 is actually going to happen next month and more. Before we get to any of that, I want to tell you guys about one of the best rivalries this sport has ever seen. You want to know why you don't have any heels in the business? You don't have any heels because they can't take the booze. It's the same problem that every heel from the beginning of time has had. They can't take the booze. Take courage. It takes discipline. You think it's an easy walk, the one that, that Colby Covington goes down by example? What he's willing to put up with 24-7, 365, to entertain you three times a year. I mean, have you ever thought of it from that perspective? Probably not. But it's tough, and there's a reason you don't have a lot of bad guys in sports. They can't take the booze. What am I talking about? Well, Daniel Cormier and John Jones, one of the great rivalries, truly. One of the great rivalries ever in combat sports. Top three in UFC history. But probably a top five, and for sure a top ten, in all of combat sports history have decided apparently that they're going to make up. I don't know that I would ever root for somebody not to make up or that I would root for somebody to go through life without being civil. But I got to tell you, I didn't want them to make up. I like that rivalry. There's not a whole lot you could do to John Jones. I mean, I'll insert myself. I don't like John Jones. What am I going to do about it? He is bigger than me. He is a better fighter than me. Some would say that he is equally as charming and maybe even more handsome than me. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit over here when he's not in the room. And I'm going to talk really tough into this microphone. I'm going to put it out to you guys. That's what I'm going to do. And when I see him to his face, I'm going to stare at the curb. How's that for honesty? Daniel doesn't necessarily have to do that. Daniel gave John one extremely hard contest. Daniel is a champion of a weight class that John is now pursuing a title in. Not for nothing, but if you're doing just a battle of arguments and resumes, Daniel stacks up pretty well next to John Jones. That's all I'll say. And they have decided now that they're going to make up. John Jones has said he has no problem with Daniel commentating his fight. And Daniel responded to the vein of... Something along the lines of, well, I didn't need your permission in the first place. But I will, of course, call your fight straight and right down the middle. And there was something about it where, where they were both him and Han, and it got a little coomsy off, you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't really like the makeup. And there is so many great angles. There really is. There's so many great angles to go about a fight. And John's has been very interesting. When I tell you there's nothing, what am I going to do to John? Right? Oh, obviously, I say that with belly hoop. Talk about he's stronger than me or he's better looking than me. Obviously, I'm, I'm saying this playfully. Of course, he is not. But you, you understand? Take this into consideration, okay? John Jones has been very open to tell the world he's going up to 200. I apologize. He's leaving 205 pounds and going up to heavyweight to make more money. He's been very open to tell the world. 
I think I can draw better at heavyweight. After he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he did an interview. And within that interview, an hour or so before he was arrested, but really, just if you remember that night, he said, I'm going to need to do a better job of selling fights. That's how I'm going to be incentivized. That's the part of my contract that we've agreed upon and shaken hands on. So that's what I need to do a better job. Now, I paid attention and I listened to that. Because why I can say what I want about John, I do find him interesting. And I do think he's very charming. And I do think he's charismatic. And I do think he's a handsome guy. And I do think people listen when he speaks. I mean, in all fairness, he checks a whole bunch of boxes that you need in a character that you're going to put on television. But he has the same problem that apparently Daniel has, which is a heel who can't take the booze. And since he's made that announcement that he's going to have to do more to draw, he was targeted for Francis. He was rumored to have sidestepped Stipe. He's found himself lockstep with a one and one out of his last two kickboxer named Surreal. And he missed the only opportunity he had to take a shot at the announcer, who happens to be one of his former biggest rivals. Do you want to know what was a really well-publicized press conference? And you guys can not only audit this, you can publicly audit it right now. You can just type this into YouTube, and you can put any press conference you want, but include the one between Jake Paul and Anderson Silva. Include that one, and you will see a number. How many people watched that? And you know who hosted that? Me. It's not because I was a great host. It's not because I had a fancy suit on. It's because I have heat with one of the participants and people wanted to tune in and see what would happen. It's not the world's best storyline. Much better story, red corner versus blue corner. I'm just offering for you from John's perspective where he came out and told us I'm going to be incentivized to sell the fight. We didn't get the fight we anticipated that we waited three years for. We didn't get the next fight that we thought would happen. We ended up And now I want to make nice with the announcer. I think that Daniel handled it right. I may not like it. I think that Daniel handled it right. I think that when you're in the suit, when you're holding the microphone, when you're on that side of the desk, there is a way that you must behave that is different. John would have free reign, but Daniel wouldn't. I don't really care if those two want to manufacture conflict or if they want to manufacture that they've made up. I I don't really care. What bothers me is why. There's obviously no sincerity in it. Neither one of them, nothing has changed between these two. One guy knocked another man out by kicking him head while he was juiced up on steroids. Like, you're not going to get over that one day. But the fighter is so worried that in less than a month that a commentator might say something shrewd about him that he would like to get in front of it to make sure that that never gets said. And that surprises me. I mean, I will tell you, in the tough guy business, the things that make these tough guys squirm, the things that the tough guys, the baddest dudes that you could think of, The things that make them uneasy, 
the lack of sincerity that they will have when they issue a statement because they can't stand to hear the booze surprises me. It never goes away. John told us all, 90 minutes before he was placed in handcuffs, he told us all that he was going to have to sell this fight more than usual. Now, of course, that was Francis on to Stipe, and now we're down to a kickboxer that's one and one in his last two. But at the time, he did tell us that. He did a great job with the John Jones experiment, which is bringing us along the journey of the weight gain. And easily the most interesting thing that has happened. Which is hard to do, right? I mean, when, when, you, when you do a press release on the side of a billboard that you then pretend was on accident, that's a pretty good spoof. That's a pretty good spoof. He comes out and he wants to make up with the announcer and he tells us all, I'm not going to tell you what I weigh until we get to the weigh-in. I got to tell you, that had me really interested. The entire John Jones experiment of take three years off, get kicked out of a camp, go into a new weight class like that, that's hard for a human being to do. But John's been doing things his whole life that other human beings can't do. Refusing to tell us or Surreal or anybody what he weighs and tell the weigh-in was great. It was great. And I'll also remind you, the highest drawing, at least at the time, now, this is an old stat, but at the time, the highest drawing WrestleMania of all time was Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon. There are few things in sport that work better than promoter versus athlete. The number one thing that was getting my friend Tyrone Woodley over when he was champion was the heat that he was having with Dana White. I mean, it made those press conferences very fun. Ariel versus Dana made them very fun. And while fighter versus promoter, it's not quite the same thing as fighter versus announcer. We'll take it. It's something. There's some kind of heat. The guy's been gone for three years. They're about to put him in a world title fight against a guy that's one and one in his last two. The hardest thing I ever have to do when I'm discussing Surreal Gone is arguing with John Anik that his last name is pronounced Gone instead of Gong or Gang or Gan or anything like that. And the one little piece that we could have found interesting the little bit of back and forth between the announcer and the fighter. They insincerely, because neither of them, they insincerely squashed it three weeks before bell time. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of John Jones being unpleased with his paycheck. So, speaking of heavyweights, it's been over a month since Francis Ngannou left the UFC, and we still don't know what he's going to do next, but I'm hearing that right now, we might be a little bit closer to an answer. Wilder versus Ngannou. They've apparently agreed to box. Well, to fight. Well, to box and to fight. Apparently. So the timeline went like this. Now, this was done over social media, and neither guy has a full comprehension of the English language, right? I mean, it's one of these things where you're doing the best you can to sort this together, and that's what I'm doing now. Wilder stealing. I mean, just absolutely plagiarizing Jake Paul's 
statement and challenge to Nate Diaz. Offered to box and to MMA, two different contests, with Francis Ngannou. So, make sure you hear that though. I mean, right, that's, that's where these things get tough. It's not the same, right? If I come to you and I make you that offer, it's very different. Because you know that I would have already gone and got my backing. I would have, I would have already been in the room with Dana. And whatever it is I'm offering, trying to get you to agree, I got someone that's going to back my play. It's very different. Wilder had nothing. He has nobody behind him. He has no network. He has no distribution. He, he does not know who to call at DirecTV or Time Warner to take the first step into a conversation of having those things. I'm not giving him a hard time. I'm telling you, he had nothing. And when he came out and challenged Ngano, it's very important that you understand that. He wasn't looking to do a challenge. He was looking for a job. And instead of looking for one job like most guys, he saw what Jake Paul did and he tried to get two. There was nothing wrong with it. But it's important that you understand what he did. He wasn't showing a courage and that he was willing to go out do an MMA. He was trying to get two paychecks in one agreement. That was the goal. But it's important that you understand that goal. Because then something comes out that he's a free man. He's tied to nobody. He can go work with anybody. Now, guys always think that's going to be a positive. No one wants that guy. That's the part that they miss. There's no promoter that wants to work with a guy that has a loyalty to no one. The very few guys that find themselves in this free agency, they think they're the sought after. They're not sought after. They're the one with leprosy. That's the one no one wants. It has a loyalty to nobody. Okay. But it does come out that he's now got this free agency and he can do these things. So then Ngannou comes out and he accepts the challenge and he tells Wilder, I hope you're a man of your word. Now, it's really important that you understand the parts that, I, that I'm coining for you. And then you understand the next parts where I'm attempting to interpret. So I'm attempting to interpret that Francis accepted Wilder and saying, I hope you're a man of your word is to the two fights. I'm assuming that's the part. I'm assuming that's where he's meaning to say, I will come and box you. Will you come and do MMA with me? Because you conveniently put MMA as second. But you know I want to box. You know I've been trying to box. You know I did all of this thing to try to box you. I'm very sincere. I have earnest. I have skin in the game. You have nothing. I don't know that you're going to come fight. So why don't we do MMA first? Now, this would be one of the arguments that you, you must understand. They're making this argument to nobody. There's no audience that wants to see it. There's no venue put on hold. There's no insurance policy backing. Like, this is not a real thing. It's not a real thing. But it's really important that you do understand, because what are we trying to do here? Am I just trying to beat you? Am I just trying to be, if I'm Francis Agata and I just trying to beat you, Deontay Wilder, can it be at anything? I mean, why wouldn't we just go throw daggers? Why wouldn't we shoot bow and arrows? Why wouldn't we flip bottle caps? I mean, if it, is that, can it just be at anything? Because I tell you what, 
and this is real. This is this is real from Chael. I would do a lot of things with Deontay Wilder, but fight him in MMA isn't one of them. I'm just not that guy. I've never been that guy. You're going to pay me a whole bunch of money, and you're going to fill up an arena, and people are going to be chanting my name, and I'm going to do a press conference, and I'm going to do a media tour, and Clayton's going to come out, and we're going to get up every morning at 8 a.m., and we're going to run. To walk into an environment that I will for sure win, I'm not that guy. That doesn't interest me. I will take him on in anything but MMA. So it's, it's a little bit weird. Deontay's attempted to show up bravado, but you got to come over here and you box. Well, if you're Francis, that, that's cool with me because I've already offered to do that. I have told the world I'm going to do that. I told my own promoter I'm going to do that. I got out of a contract just so I could do something. Right, if you're Francis and Ghana, your hands are clean on this one. But but now if I try to change the rule and I try to get you into an MMA ring, for what? I, I got to beat you at something so bad that I would rig the deck. I would take what I am the best in the world at and what you've never done before just so that I can beat you. And then for who? Who do I show off for? Who do I brag for? Do I take you down and put you in a precarious position you've never seen before? And do I begin to elbow you until the skin on your forehead breaks and the bone is coming through and you've got a compound fracture? And you go, or do I just tap you a few times? I mean, you don't know what you're doing. Tap out. Right? I got kids. I play with my kids all the time. You think I've, you think I've ever had to put one on them? Oh, we kind of play around. You withhold. I mean, but you see what I'm saying? Do you see where this gets weird? Okay, so now we've got an arena, okay, that doesn't exist, full of people who currently don't care, on a network, of which we don't even know the phone number to the right office to call. And what do you do when it's over? I mean, if you're Francis Ngannou, and there's Deontay Wilder, he's a mess. He's a bloody mess. Which you didn't have to do to the guy. You could have beat him and let him go home to his family. You decided to destroy him for reasons I don't... But there he is. Getting on the stretcher. What are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? Are you on the, the shoulder of your cornerman and you're pumping your fist in the air and you're exciting? Like, what happens then? Or, moreover, in this fantasy world, apparently... You go to a training camp, you go back into a press conference, you walk the same two guys out in the same venue that doesn't exist on the same network that's not offering to put it on in front of the same crowd that doesn't exist, and you do it under different rules. That right now is their idea. As you guys know, March is supposed to be a great month for fight fans, unlike any other. And UFC 286 is set to take place in London. But guys, let's be honest. I'm not sure the main event is going to happen. Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards are going to fight soon. In England on pay-per-view at 174 World Championship. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Because you've, you've heard it before. You've heard me say it before. You've heard it said by many people before. But it never felt like they were going to fight, did it? You wouldn't hear from the actual athletes themselves how excited they were. You wouldn't hear about training footage. You wouldn't hear why this is going to be different. What home field advantage means to Leon and his poor team that haven't been able to get over there and see him fight in person. I mean, they're coming home. Sleeping in, at least figuratively, his own bed. It's a big deal. It's 
It's a fascinating part of the story. Fascinating. First person Leon Click called his mother. Gave that message right to his mother. Awesome. It was like the, one of the great feel-good moments in all of sport. It was really great. That's not being used. That's not being used to tell the story of this fight, to draw for this fight, to sell for this fight. I don't know if this fight has sold. I don't know if it's completely sold out. I don't know how many the venue sits. I don't know anything about it other than as reported five months ago and again four months ago and again three months ago and again last month, it is going to happen. It's going to happen in March and it's going to happen in England. And I'm just wondering if you believe me. <laughs> Do you believe me? Because Blahal Mohammed doesn't believe a damn thing I just said. Blahal Mohammed is currently in training camp so that he can fight Leon in March. George Masvidal knows a lot of what I said is true, but at least hoping against hope that it's false. He has not taken a match. In fact, he's turned down matches. He turned down in December a match with Burns. Saying that he was hurt, but the real reason he was just trying to keep himself available so that he could slide in England, three-piece in a soda, off you go. So I'm wondering if you believe me that that fight's going to happen. I don't know who the co-main event is that night. I don't know anything about that card. The fact that they're going to fight, the fact that it's going to be in March, and the fact that we're, we're going to book a, a, a venue in England are all things that I learned an hour after the head kick that was heard around the world. Those things were stated that night by the boss. And apparently they were all accurate, and apparently the only thing between them is time and space, and apparently that is running out, and apparently those guys are going to go fight. Do you believe me? I told you guys. I promised you guys that Uriah Rodriguez and Josh Emmett were going to fight. You did not believe me. I even told you the day before it was going to happen. I said, guys, they weighed in this morning. They're fighting tomorrow. You thought I was making it up. I mean, right? Like some people are good at keeping secrets. But why, why is this fight a secret? Why do the guys in the division not believe it? And we've been told, we have been told for months that it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, broad stroke term of March, where it was going to happen in a venue in England that we haven't even booked yet. We're going to go out and find it just for this rematch. And then we did. All of those things came true. So why does it not feel like they're going to fight? I'm asking you a question. Is it because Kumaro has been so quiet? I, I think so. I think that's a really big part of it. And if you get the right reporter that's willing to put in the time, he's going to have an awesome story. That is, what Ariel Helwani could do with 24 hours access to Kumar Usman and taking the fact that Kumar Usman has not given Kumar to anybody, that he is absolutely locked down, buckled down, and getting his life back. That's how he views it. If you understood how important this fight was to Kumar Usman, but you may not be able to. Because it's so important part to him. Part of him is he's not he's he's buckled down. He's not putting one moment of energy that could be put towards effort towards accomplishing this goal. He's not any of that towards the media. And what about Leon? Is 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 Leon doing what Leon does? 
Which is nothing? Is that is that what this is? But but I ask you that because it's really important for us as fans, right? Particularly over here at this channel. We don't talk about a lot about X's and O's. I didn't talk to you about he's going to go orthodox and switch to, to southpaw. That's where the head kick comes as opposed to the body shot with the lead hand. I, I don't do a lot of that. I talked to you about what should we expect, how much are we anticipating, and coming out the door, what do we think is going to be next? And it gets really hard in this situation, right? If Leon was to beat Kamara, are we done? Because this is a true trilogy fight. You guys just don't know that. I mean, you've, you've forgotten. It hasn't been told. Story hasn't come out. We think this is a rematch. A rematch to answer for the kick heard around the world, but that's not true. This is number three. They are one apiece. So adversely, if Kamara was to win, are we done? Do, can we move this behind us? It's a trilogy. It's two to one. And we, no matter what, no matter if it was a lucky kick thrown at the last minute, no matter if it was hook or crook by the judges, when this is done, do we all move on? And if so, who do we move to? Chemaev was so obviously the heir apparent to the opportunity, but in five months of being begged, he has not even told us what weight class he is. We simply cannot as a community, no matter how bad we want to cook the books and get it to Chemaev, we, we, we just simply can't do that and anoint him a number one contender if he hasn't even told us that he's committed to going into that weight class. So what are we going to do? Do we give a good look to Burns versus Masvidal? Because Burns would seem to make a lot of sense. And it seems as though we would like as a community to find a path for Masvidal to now make some sense. Right? We know three-piece in a soda has to be answered for. We know that. We just also know we can't just go give Masvidal a world title opportunity. Like, we can't give him a world title opportunity, and, and he must answer for three pieces in a soda. But, but those things can't both be true. So, well, maybe we can find a path. Maybe the path is, hey, look, it's, it's still not a perfect scenario, but if you get by Burns, even if that, even, even if you're, you're one win and a couple of losses in your last, we can still do it. You, you got to get this one. I mean, is that the direction we're going, guys? I'm just asking questions. I feel as though I, I, I can be very confident in telling you these two aren't going to get in there again. The fact that they're going to get in there in, in a couple of weeks and no one knows it. That's, that's not great news to be doing it again. Okay, great. We're going to move on. We're going to go with somebody new. And that somebody new is going to have a lot to do with how bad these boys botched the spot. If Leon is as equally quiet in England as he is here, that's no problem. We got the power of the pen, too, whether you want to believe it or not. We'll take a belt off a guy any night. Any night we want to. Because we know who the guy to take it from him is. We will tell you Bo Nickel does not deserve the opportunity. He's too young and he's too new. And tell you piss us off. Then I will bring a guy from an undercard that I pay 10 and 10 in, and he's going to take your belt away. And you know it, and so do I. All I got to do is convince the crowd. I've been doing this a long time. I'm just sharing that with you. If Kamara and Leon botch as bad in England as they're doing here at home, they're still going to get their fight. They're going to get their little match. And then they're going to be in there with Rachmanov, Chemayev, Colby Cuff, whoever you have. There's always payback, right? 
I expect you to do something. I put you in a marquee spot. I came over here to England and I booked a venue that I didn't previously have all for you. If you screw me, and right now, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. If you screw me, you're going to get your fight. And then you're going to get what we call a receipt. And that receipt is going to have the name of your next opponent, who I personally believe is going to beat you. show. I gotta give credit to Islam Makhlchev and Volkanovsky for doing a great job of keeping my interest even a week after their fight. Volkanovsky started a YouTube page a period of time ago, maybe a year, and he's got some fun stuff on there. I mean, I've seen him cooking and cooking with Errol. It was one of his better segments. And whoever this guy is understands film and he understands editing. And he's read a book or two about the algorithm. It's not overly complicated, but whoever this guy is has come to Volkanovsky and said, you have to do nothing, just give me access to you and I will do everything else. That guy has done the most tremendous service to Volkanovsky. And Volk might not know it. He might think he's being the nice one by giving the access. He's the one that sees himself on camera. I just got to tell you, this guy is doing a great job. I have pitched a show to Fight Pass before. Fight Pass did not do the deal with me and would install the idea and it now lives on their platform. Only point being, they love the idea, right? It was good enough that they thought that they should steal it. The exact idea that I pitched is exactly what Volkanovsky's guy is not only making, it's what he edited and released yesterday. It's simply... Behind the scenes. And I get that that's not rocket science. There's just an order for doing it. He shows Volk arriving. He shows him warming up. He shows as he walks out to the ring. He shows when he returns and he's with his team, when he's damaged and bruised. And you don't know what's going to happen in those moments. You just turn the camera on. You do not know what's going to happen. You don't know if you've got a guy pumping his fist over his head in celebration or in the corner, pie-facing the camera as he's in tears. You, you just don't know. And then... If you can get the access, which just means you've got the courage to walk into the opponent's room, you can get him too. And it's this great footage, and it's this great piece, and Volkanovsky did it. And one of the pieces, and one of the elements that he released, was Volk and his team barging in on Islam. Now, there is nothing wrong here. This is a time to celebrate and understand and just be grateful that whoever this guy that Volk's got with the, the, the brilliant idea of YouTube exists. He'll never be known and he deserves credit. I'm trying to give it to him now. I'd say his name if I knew it. But there's always a but. It, you, you will never cease to get around a piece of psychology that two opponents who had to be separated, who spanned the globe over between face-offs, call-outs, media's weigh-ins, and an actual competition, you will never get around that when they get together for that after photo, it was not ever 50-50. It was never, we both looked up and we caught eyes and we began to walk forward. One guy wants the photo and the other guy does the photo. And the guy that wants the photo is the B-side. Not most of the time, 
100% never in history has Floyd Mayweather gone to an opponent after a fight and said, can I get a photo? So there's just a piece of psychology there that when you're the one asking for the photo, you're the one trying to ham it up and, hey, look at us. Particularly when you're in defeat, that you need to be a little bit careful with. So Volk goes in and he gets this shot with Islam, all right? Now he's cornered Islam and Islam doesn't want to be there, but there, there's just certain things that you do. There just are. You know, hey, good job, you were three to one underdog. I thought I'd get ready in eight minutes. It turned out it took 25. I mean, it's one of those things. You pay your due and you do the photo. Now, when they were doing the photo, Volk did not miss the opportunity to ask for a rematch. Very wise to do. I'm just sharing for you that when this piece came out, it was a little bit misleading on some of the dirt sheets that picked it up. Not on Volk's actual page. On the dirt sheets that picked it up, it was a little bit misleading. As though Islam and Volk had agreed to a rematch. It was Volk who again asked for the photo. This was not even. Islam agreed to do the photo and they began questioning him and they asked him if he wanted to do the rematch. No, of course he's going to say yes. The cameras are going. And you would anyway. You, you would just say that. You would just say yes. You just would. It's the polite thing to do. But when Volk says we'll rematch and we'll do it in Abu Dhabi, okay, when everybody, anybody starts giving up territory in a negotiation before it's requested, you're weak. If I go into negotiation, that should be me 50% and you 50% we're dead even. If, if I do that and before you open your mouth, I give up territory. I walk in, I ask for the match, and I concede home field advantage without a conversation. I obviously need this more than you do, and that's okay. But to reveal that without being asked to reveal it is a mistake. And if you're Islam, that's real simple if you want to be logical. Volk, why would I fight you in Abu Dhabi? Well, because you know I had, I had home field advantage here. There's 18,000 people cheering my name. We don't do matches in Dagestan, and you know, I, think, I think Abu Dhabi's a little closer for you, and, and that's what we'll do. And if you're Islam, you said, but, but Volk, that sounds like that would help me. I think home field advantage would be helpful. Didn't you, didn't you think you had that? Didn't you think you had help? So, so, but now you're going to give the help to me. I just beat you. You see the problem? It wasn't you overperformed and closed a three to one deficit and won some rounds and even had some controversy in Abu Dhabi. And now we're going to take it to home and see if those people can pull you over the edge. We did it at home and you still did not beat me. So why would we give me any advantage? I was already a three to one favorite and those people that made, that made those bets just cashed in. So now we're going to give me an advantage and redo the match. Do you see where that doesn't quite square with the audience? And yeah, Volk would, he would, yes, yes, he would get that completely. He was caught up in the moment. He was drunk on excitement. He was a little bit surprised, right? I mean, that's, that's what that B-side is. That's what the guy that asks for the photo is. He's the guy that was surprised. And sometimes you're, you're even surprised with victory. Do you remember the night that Justin Gaethje beat Tony Ferguson? Because nobody in that building was more surprised about that than Justin Gaethje. And I've been that athlete before. I've been that lamb walking in a slaughter. You look around and go, my God, time's out and I've got more points. It's, it's one of these really great uh, parts of sport. It's what dreams are made of. 
But I'll just share for you, it is also very common. And what you were seeing from Vulcan, you were seeing that excitement, you were seeing that highness on life, you were seeing that relief. You, you were seeing a guy that thought he was going to go get beat up. And they left in one piece. They didn't go to the emergency room. They didn't get dominated. They didn't get held down, get his arm ripped off. All the things that his undefeated or nearly undefeated opponent claimed he was going to do to him. It was one of those things. It was a relief. It was a highness. The highness is what caused him to barge the locker room in the first place. The highness... Being drunk on that excitement is what caused him to ask his adversary for a photograph. The highness is what gave him the confidence to ask for a rematch and moreover start giving up ground before we even sat down to talk. I think there's a lot of reasons you could do a rematch between those two. If you give any advantage to Islam, we now lost the rematch. Make sure you understand that concept. Every advantage went to Volk, and he still didn't win. You understand that concept now? So we can't give ground the other way. And I, and I want to bring that to you because rematches are not being done the way that they used to. We waited a period of time, right? I mean, they did everything they could in front of us. None of this was behind the scenes bureaucracy. In front of the world, they let us all know we don't want Glover to share and Prohaska part two. They tried four different things that didn't work and they finally went to Prohaska versus Glover part two. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm sharing with you. Generally, when you do a rematch, you do it like that. Moreno Figueredo that fought like, like 30 times. They were set up to fight their second time at the press conference 25 minutes after their first one. Right? I mean, but that's how that gets done, generally. Or it doesn't get done until a period of time. I can think of, of Colby Covington versus Kamar Usman, just for an example that you would know. Yeah, they did the rematch, but there was there was four things in between between two participants. We now really didn't have a world calling for Pierre versus Adesanya. I think people are happy it's here. I think it, it needs to be done. I think the building's going to be full. And I got to put, I think, in front of all of those statements. It, it just, it, that, that didn't have on it what most rematches do. It didn't have call-outs. It didn't have back and forth. It didn't have the media behind it. It didn't have social media. It didn't have fans. It didn't really have any kind of controversy at all. But one day it was just made. So perhaps we have to take that into consideration. Islam has said, I'm not going to call anyone out. I'll fight whoever they say. Okay. That's if you're in Volkanov's spot, that's helpful. Volk now has some footage that's coming out. I mean, this piece that I'm talking about where he's giving ground, he's negotiating against himself, it's still a piece, and that's more than anybody else can say. Nobody else was smart enough. Charles Oliveira was there that night. He was backstage. He wasn't smart enough to bring a camera with him and put something out two weeks after it was done. Nobody is talking about anything on that card or any other card two weeks after, but we're sitting here talking about this. So Volk and Islam have something. But what, is, what does Volk do with it now? He's got a commitment, and he's even got members of the media to believe and precipitate this. Right? That means something when, you, when you're particularly a man of faith, and your word means something. If you can put Islam into a corner, if you said, it's going to be very effective. It was nothing more than a strategy the way they put it out. I'm sharing with you, it was a very good, effective strategy, perhaps. But what made that fight happen the first time more than anything else was an absolute refuel, refusal to hear different. It is called an implied sell. You're, you're working at a car lot, and that guy comes in. After he test drives the car and you see the twinkle in his eye, you don't refer to it as the car. You don't refer to it as my car. Everything you say, it's now his car. Hey, we'll get a six-disc changer put in that car for you. 
Oh, this car is going to be perfect for you. The seat comes back. It's going to be perfect. You're about six foot one. It's perfect for a guy that's six foot one. Your car is going to be what is called an implied sale. And down the road, pretty soon, when you ask for the check, hey, give me a check for your car. Yeah, of course I will. It's my car. The implied sale is what this, uh, why this worked for Volkanovsky. We are even told that after the face-off between Islam and Volk, we're told this by Charles Oliveira himself. Charles says even after that face-off that Charles was offered the rematch. They were going to take that face-off, an organic moment, and light it on fire. Say, man, this is a 45-pounder called a 55-pounder. That's not how fights are made. Move behind it and go on with Charles. We were told that. So what I'm sharing for you is that in implication of a sale, no matter how many times you're told no, no how many times you're, you're told, hey, we're thinking about it, no matter how many times you get reminded that you don't have the power, imply that it's done. That is what got him here the first time, and now it's, it's Volk's move. Th th there was some massive mistakes made by offering to go to Abu Dhabi. Massive. But only if Islam calls it out. It's Islam that has to say, you had the advantages. You still lost. It would make no sense to give me advantages. I'm the one who, I mean, do you see the problem? But it only works if Islam says it. Islam's only said, I'm not calling an opponent out. Nobody else has gone for the fight. The sport is not being done the way that it used to be done in terms of rematches. Maybe X amount of time goes by, they announce the fight. We'll see what happens. Shots have been fired. Volk and team did a beautiful job. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story and the time frame for Volkanovski and Islam Part 2 as it sits right now. guys I, I actually am back I've left since I've said goodbye to you guys I've left for the night I came back because Ariel put out a piece it was real simple he's talking about Islam and he's talking about Volkanovsky he said here's what Islam did not get enough credit for okay slow news day I'm having one too I got about a click on it Ariel said that Islam wasn't given enough credit for taking the fight in Perth. Now, Perth is disgusting. I, I understand that, but I'm not sure it's a step down. Have you seen pictures of Dagestan? I mean, in all fair, what did he mean by this? Well, it turned out I had it wrong. That's not what he meant. He meant taking it within a city within the country of Australia, of which Volkanovsky was born. Okay. Is that true? Because Ariel went to the well a little further. He said he took the fight only four months after he won the belt in the first place. Well, four-month training camp sounds like a long time to me. That, that doesn't seem like something unreasonable to ask for. Ariel thought he should have got more credit. The judges that went to Perth lacked respect for Perth so much, they gave the fight to the rightful winner. You came to Westland, Oregon. I'm just letting you know. You come to Westland, Oregon. You have so much respect for my city. You will not know as a judge if you're going to get out of that building alive. You will question that. 
before you eat food back at the hotel, you will wonder if it was poisoned. You will respect Westland enough. And you will not give the opponent the victory. They had such a lack of respect for Perth. They gave the fight to the guy that 17,000 people booed. And you can look at that however you want or think that I said it funny. I said it exactly how I meant to say it. And I'm just not sure where the respect needs to come from for Islam to go into a city that is so unfearful that three guys cage side weren't scared of the 18,000 on the outside like this sport has always done. I think that it's very relevant. I really do. And I don't think that Volk deserves credit. I think that Volk was owed something good to happen to him because the part of the Volk story that has always been left out is how willing he is to fight anyone at any time. He never should have fought Max Holloway the third time. That was a career suicide. Now, I get that that's an expression. I get that it, it was dominant and he was fine and all of that. That's an expression, career suicide. That was the single worst decision he could have made. In that, there was no other decision. There was no other opportunity you could have come to at that same time that would have been worse. But he redid it anyway. And all he asked for when that was done is that he didn't have to wait very long and get right back in there again. He wanted in there so quickly, I'm talking about Volkanovsky, that they failed him. They failed to get him there as quickly as he could, so he went and made up a fight for himself. He said, well, I'm doing it anyway. I'm going to do it at 55, and I'm going to back up, and I'm, I'm going to, I mean, he went and did that. He didn't want to wait. So they do get him a turnaround. He gets to come back another four years, uh, four months later, and he gets to do it within the ever-so-unfearful Perth. And if we're going to rematch these guys, because, boy, it sure feels like we should, and not necessarily for the reasons that you'd want to rematch. Sometimes you default to it right? You, you just default to it. So there's no other 55 pounder you'd like to give that opportunity to because they've all stunk it up. We had the former champion in the building who didn't do one piece of media that whole week. Apparently he thought like someone wanted to fly him out first class and ship him back and forth to a hotel. Apparently he wasn't smart enough to know there was an exchange in that. And you sitting in the front row wasn't it. But, but what I'm sharing is, okay, so do you want to give a title shot to a guy that is doing nothing to get it? Or do you want to wait for the one that you want to wait for anyway? You want to wait for Fitzaya versus Gaethje. That's what you want to wait for. See what happens there. Maybe get Fitzaya into the mix. It becomes a problem. It really does. Of who am I going to give it to when none of you deserve it? Oh, by the way, Volkanovski does. Great. Well, then let's give it to Volkanovski. And they've proven that they can do business, right? Everything's fine here. Well, not so fast because what do I do on the backside, right? Some promoters are playing checkers. You just give me to this night. Prove to me it can be an exciting thing. Bob's your uncle. But you're dealing with a guy who only plays chess. So what do I do after this night? If Volkanovski beats him, which is what this whole thing's about. This whole thing is about that Volkanovski can and prove that he can and perhaps should have even gotten the nod. The whole thing is predicated on that premise. If that premise turns out to be true and Volk beats him, what do I do now? I don't need an Islam Makhlchev. 
I took an Islam Makhlchev because he came with a Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't need an Islam Makhlchev. I got no records with this guy. I got no plan and I, I got no business with this guy. But right is still right. So if he goes and he does a favor again in another record-breaking night and he loses, I got to give him the rubber match. I just got to. Well, if I give him the rubber match, that means that Volk is now within the weight class, which means I got to strip him at 45. I mean, do you see how many things happen here? Do you see how many things happen here? Or Volk doesn't win, which sends him back down to 45 against Yuri Rodriguez, who he's supposed to fight now anyway. I mean, it's really important that you do understand in this perspective, once I move a piece and a domino effect comes in, what is my collateral damage? There is no other 55-pounder that's trying to get the fight. So right now, Volk's number one. There's no other 55-pounder that deserves it because they're not trying to get it. Not because their resume is not good and not because their skills aren't there. You, you, you have to show up for the interview. Nobody didn't run for president and then finds out on the second Tuesday after the first Tuesday of the 11th month of the year, natural born of 35 years of age, that they're president. You had to run. So you end up in this weird thing. You, you do. You end up in a weird thing. Unless you can answer the question. And I, and I know you guys that say, let's give it to Volk. That's the fight. What a great fight. I know that you say that. Until you're asked a backup question, which is, if Volk wins, what do you do then? Well, you put Volk in there with Fitzai. How do I give it to Fitzai? How do I not give it back to Islam? Well, you're right. You got to give it to Islam. Okay, well, then I'm holding up the division. I mean, we, we just did this disaster. It was called uh, Moreno and Figueredo. The world wanted to see those fights so little that they demoted them. The first time those guys fought, they were a main event. They were never main event again. Right? This isn't Chael's opinion. The fight went down on the card. And what are we going to do with Izzy versus Piera, by the way? Would you even think that it was right? Would you even think it's right that after Izzy and Piera fight, Izzy and Piera fight again? Like, would you, would you even think that's right? That would be five opportunities. That would be two years of a division being held. I mean, do you even think that's right? Okay, great. But if Izzy is to beat Piera, Piera's given him one, two, three, four opportunities. If Izzy is to beat Piera, don't you think we got to rematch him? And wouldn't you think that's the right thing to do? Izzy's already beaten the division. I mean, do you see where it gets a little bit weird? And now, God damn, we got to get on with it. Do you want to set a precedence of that? What, just because you had a good fight, I got to rematch the fight? That's the qualification? I expect you all to have good fights. I got to rematch every fight that's a good fight? When I do a show every Saturday and I give up two of the night bonuses for performance? I would, I would have nothing but rematches here. There has to be another reason. There has to be some way we can get on with it. That's where the clash comes in. That's where the controversy comes in. That's where screaming foul ball, while unsportsmanlike, is so important. There has to be something more than that was a good match. I expected it to be. And you're not going to get more from these guys. You're just not. But you're not going to get more from the field either. They brought Oliveira to Perth. You know what that looks like? I mean, you guys just see him on camera there, and he's sitting there, and he's, he's doing whatever Oliveira does. Do you understand what it took to get him there? 
they had to invite him, which means they had to go through a manager, which means they had to work out something. Once they worked out something, they find out he wants a first-class ticket, but they already booked him in coach. So now they got to call back. they got to upgrade that to first-class. And at the absolute last minute, and only a fighter would pull this, he informs you that his girlfriend's coming or he's not getting on the plane. All right, you're now $50,000 in plane tickets to today's flavor of the month because he got her the world's greatest date ever on your black card. Well, once they land at a hotel where they have... Or once they land in a city where they don't speak the language, they don't have the money, means you got to get them a car. All right, so now the, 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 this couple right here, who just, she just got a first-class ticket into per... At any rate, we're going to take them to a hotel. Oh, and wouldn't you know it, he's going to demand a suite. These are small things. These are no problem. I'm just sharing. This is the way this works. Well, then when he goes to check in, he doesn't have a credit card, and the hotel won't let him check in without a credit card on file, which is where the boss calls and puts the black card down, and now everybody's going to the spa and eating lobster, just so you understand how these things work. Now, at some point, he comes down to the lobby where they pick him up in another car. They take him and the flavor of the day off to the fights. They put him in beautiful seats, and they bring a camera at some point. At some point, that camera comes on, and the guy were two funk class plane tickets, his own private transportation, a suite, and your black card for the week of lobster tails and spa visits, looks at that camera, and he tells the world. Now, does that seem like an equitable arrangement to you? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you that if you like what you hear, you can find me over on Apple Podcasts anytime, and you can even leave me a review or submit a rating for the show over on Spotify. Guys, there is so much more I'm going to get to. I'm going to save it for Friday. Tell that I'm Shale Sutton, and you are welcome. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.